my wife told me that you said that she was your favorite Rodman now. So I, I've kind of taken that personally. <laughs> well, you're not doing much to get your place back. <laughs> Welcome, world, to another episode of Nobody's a Nobody podcast with me, Mike McVeigh. This is the podcast where I interview people I find absolutely fascinating, and I believe you will too if you give them a chance. This week's episode is featuring Michael Rodman, the magnet farmer. Unfortunately, Jarvix will not be here for Song of the Week because his power went out during the ice storm that happened here in Oklahoma. This week, our shout-out is going to first go to TheMuleOKC.com, which is The Mule. They have my favorite grilled cheese sandwich worth every penny. They have cheese curds. They have great homemade ranch. It is definitely a place you want to check out. It's in the plaza. And then when you finish there, if you don't want to eat dessert with The Mule, you can go right across the street to Pie Junkie at PieJunkie.com, and they have so many delicious pies. Each one person in my family picks a different slice every time, except for me. I always get the bird dog pie. There's just something about that that is absolutely scrumptious. But please check out the muleokc.com and piejunkie.com. And don't forget, our nonprofit is oneokc.org. That's our neighborhood empowered here in Oklahoma City, where they do what they can to help teenagers and children learn to read and develop the skills necessary to have an honest opportunity to make it in the world today. Six months ago, at the time of this recording, we started the trailer for Nobody's a Nobody podcast. And today, this episode marks the 32nd episode after the trailer, which is so hard for me to believe, but so exciting. And I'm looking forward to 32 more episodes. This also marks the last episode that we're going to have the Circuit Breaker lockdown questions. So I'm glad that I get to do it with my friend, Michael. I've known Michael for five years. We met in Toastmasters, but we really don't talk about Toastmasters that much. Michael is the one who introduced me to Holly Stewart from episode number two, and he's also married to Joey Rodmond, the Oki Space Queen from episodes six and seven. So you should definitely check out those episodes if you haven't already. And it's kind of interesting. We start off this conversation with something I didn't even know, but Michael Rodman is a magnet fisher. And if you don't know what that is, well, let's find out together. Pretty good. I picked up a new hobby this weekend and started a YouTube channel for that. Okay. Uh, don't know that it'll go anywhere, but it's something that I found other YouTube videos of people doing, and it sparked an interest. And, uh, so far, it's been interesting. I had one day where I went out and did this activity, and it's it's pretty fun. What's the hobby? Magnet fishing. <laughs> You have a magnet on a rope and you throw it in the water and see what you pull out. What's the most interesting thing you've pulled out so far? Uh, well, I've only done it once. And uh, say the most interesting thing, aside from just scraps of random metal and weird pieces of metal loops, is a small vice grip plier. Probably somebody dropped it out of their toolbox when they were setting up their fishing tackle it sat in the water for a while. It doesn't work, but it's interesting. So what's the name of your YouTube channel? Red Dirt Magnet Fishing, I think. I just set up the channel yesterday and haven't uploaded the video yet. What got you into starting that specific hobby? Some of the channels that I've been people doing like a canals in Amsterdam and in England and they pull out some really strange things from old World War II firearms and grenades to 
bicycles and shopping carts, and, uh, safes. That it's an interesting hobby. It's a way to spend the day. It's not unlike fishing in that you sometimes throw out and don't bring up anything, but at the same time, you also get to clean up our water waste. I I do remember you've told some stories about how when you were a kid, you just picked up different. I don't know were they textbooks, or just really what most people consider difficult science or difficult math books and just started working it out on your own? Yeah, I've always enjoyed reading, even from a very young age. I remember going on vacation to Maine with my grandmother and walking around with Hardy Boy mystery books and having my my nose so buried in the book that I wasn't paying attention to what was around me. She probably saved me from getting run over several times. (laughs) But uh, one of the times when I was away from home, I would go and visit bookshops and I found this one on quantum physics and it's probably in junior high. No, no, I was a a sophomore in high school. There was this book on quantum physics, the new science for non-scientists. And I was a big fan of the show quantum leap. And I, I thought this doesn't have anything to do with the show, but people will think it does. And so they won't give me a hard time about reading something educational and uh, trying to expand my horizons. And I read this book and it talked about paradoxes that I had never heard of before and just really opened my eyes to thinking about things differently. So when you started reading about these paradoxes that you'd never heard of, what did you do next? Did you go, um, I mean, I guess there wasn't really Google at that time frame, right? No, not yet. So, I, I don't think we even had, inter- we had dial up internet on Prodigy, 2400 baud modem. Oh, yeah. So we did not use that for research. So how did you find out more about these paradoxes and other information that were new to you? Uh, well, coming from a low-income family household, uh, the best way to get access to information and knowledge, even today, is uh, the library. And you can get on the internet there, certainly, and you might find a lot of things on the internet that will lead you to misinformation the world is not flat, but there are a lot of YouTube videos out there trying to convince you that it is. Uh, The only way to really get, I think, good information on that is to go and read books and pick up something. I I feel the tactile experience of having the book in my hand helps me to retain information better because I can look back and think about how it felt to have that book and the, the smells of the pages and the feel of the paper. It just cements the information more in my mind. You went ahead and did um, physics and experimental quantum physics, whatnot. That's what your career is now, right? No. Uh, Although you'd be surprised. When I was in high school, I went to a summer camp that was at OSU. It was physics-based. So then when I got back to school the next semester and took physics, I felt like I had a pretty good understanding of the, the subject and I was able to really have better discussions on what was happening behind the maths with my teacher. I absolutely love Mary Alice O'Daniel from Ardmore High School. She passed away a few years after that, but she was one of my favorite teachers because we were able to have conversations about the subject matter and not just read from the book, do these exercises. Partially because I went to a summer camp and did hands-on experiments where we actually went out and measured buildings and used oscilloscopes and did 
understanding uh, behind the math, uh, how the math works and why it works for physics subjects. And hopefully I, I improved my pool game quite a bit too. So is that what you're doing now is physics proper or do you, are you doing some other kind of field of study that just happens to use physics? Uh, well, I am in uh, computer science uh, primarily right now dealing with databases for the Department of Defense, uh, which is you know transfer of data and information and how that information relates to each other. You have different tables that will have uh, relationships so that you can organize your data efficiently and recall it quickly when you need it and the reliability of that data as well as the security. We don't want just everybody to be able to get in and access all your information. Although I probably don't have any information of yours in any of my databases, Mike. One thing you mentioned that you enjoyed the, the episode that we had with Holly. One of the things that you have in common with Holly is that you have also run a marathon. And it didn't quite go, I mean, she's had some foibles with her marathons, but yours went a little bit differently from the start of how you got prepared for it. Okay, if you say I ran a marathon, you're half right. I ran a half marathon. <laughs> and I did this several times, but the way it got started is uh, Holly and I were both working at Dell and she doesn't play a part in my story, unfortunately. Uh, although I do totally admire her and all the things that she's done. She's a, an amazing person. So I was working at Dell and Dell is very socially conscious. We have all kinds of activities there to give back to the community and to volunteer. And one of the activities that Dell was responsible for was the water stop for the, one of the water stops for the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon. And at the time they had won uh, some award for being the best water stop like six or seven years in a row to the point where the marathon committee stopped having that award because Dell always won it. And they had a bounce house for kids and it was a big family event. There were clowns so that all of the employees could come and their families could come and participate in celebrating the memorial and the work that the marathon runners were doing and cheer those runners on as they ran that marathon. And seeing you know, that their tired faces of the runners as they come through and holding out the, the Gatorade of the water for them and just the, the determination and the drive. I was like, I'm gonna run a marathon. I'm gonna start training as soon as we get back from this event. And next year I'm gonna run some part of a marathon. Several years went by and I didn't do anything. And uh, you know, when you talk about goal setting and, and setting reasonable goals for yourself, one of the things to do with that is to set you know, time specific so instead of saying, I'm going to run a marathon someday, it wasn't until I actually registered for the marathon before I started training that I got up off of my rear and started doing something about it. And how long is the registration? Like how, what's the time frame of registering for the marathon before it actually happens? I believe they open registration around October, November. And then the marathon itself is in the last weekend of April. Okay, so we're talking about eight months-ish, six months-ish? Uh, generally, yes, but I didn't register as soon as registration opened either. Okay. Uh, it was in January, and I started with the, the couch to 5K. 
So going from not running at all, if you wanted to chase me, I'm just going to stand there and let you get me because it's too much effort to running a 5K. And I did my first 5K on St. Patrick's Day. There was a St. Patrick's Day marathon here in Oklahoma City. And I did that in jeans. And my manager thought I was crazy. He's like, what are you doing? You're running a marathon, you know, a 5K in jeans. But my training largely to that point had been on the treadmill at work. I was wearing jeans. So I didn't want to do anything different to kind of throw things off. And it was cold that day. So I was very glad that I had something on protecting my legs. Uh, but then after that, I, you know, the weather started to warm up and I was able to go to the park and there's a mile and a half trail that goes around the park. And I started with, you know, one lap. And then the next time out, I would do two laps. And finally, about before the marathon date, I got to where I was doing 10 miles. And I had registered for the half marathon, and that's 13 miles. But at the end of 10 miles, I was feeling pretty good. So I didn't feel like that, that little extra push would be too hard, especially since I had two weeks left to train. And then it got rainy, and I couldn't go out and run in the outside. Uh, so there's a little bit of setback there. So it's, I've, I've gone up to 10 miles, it's raining, it's hard to get out and really do any more training. And marathon comes around and that morning it's cold, it's raining. I think the start time was delayed because of the rain. Uh, and I'm out there in shorts this time instead of jeans, t-shirt, I've got proper running shoes, feeling pretty good about myself. And go through and about the time I hit the 10 mile mark, I realized that the terrain for the Memorial Marathon is a lot different than just this trail going around the park I've been on. There are a lot more slopes and angles. So like one of my hips is really, because a lot of the time I would be leaning to one side and I wasn't used to that. So by the time I get to the, the Dell water stop, I am worn out. And I'm, I'm approaching that last turn of the corner. And I know all of my coworkers and friends are gonna be right around this corner and I, I, I round the corner and I'm, I'm getting my last push. Uh, I've got to got to be running. I can't just be dragging myself and seeing all of their faces and the smiles, the cheers and getting to feel that from the runner's perspective really made me appreciate what those people at the water stop and what I had done all the previous years. And I had the energy then from my peers and coworkers and friends and strangers that were cheering me on. To, to round the next corner and run through the finish line. I got to the finish line and there's a, a benefit to the runners where they have a massage station set up and I'm standing in line to get a massage, just so worn out. I don't feel how sore I am yet. And I cough and all of a sudden I can't inhale. It's like I coughed and deflated my lungs and I couldn't breathe. It started to panic. And I found out later that that's a common occurrence with people when they run like that, that you could cough and like your lungs seize up. Uh, fortunately, I was able to start breathing again on my own. I didn't have any other problems after that. And the massage felt amazing. I was sore for days afterwards, but I had this sense of accomplishment. Whereas this thing I kept telling myself I was going to do next year and then not doing anything about it you know, starting to feel bad on myself for not having taken the steps to do what I had said I was going to do. 
to actually having gone out and achieved something. I, you know, I set a goal. I did it. I completed it. It wasn't a record time or anything, but it was the best time I had ever run in a half marathon. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That is an amazing accomplishment, no matter how you prepared for it. You completed 13 miles, half marathon. You seem like the kind of person, I, I think this is accurate from what little bit I know of you, but you seem like the kind of person that when you want to go do something, you pretty much go and do it. I'm one of those people that takes years to finally do something that I know I should have done like five years ago. And then I think about it again, like, well, is it really worth it? But my experience of you, you're like, I'm going to do this. And you start planning that way. Would that be an accurate description? Yeah, as I've mentioned, I've learned that if I don't have a goal and start planning out, and part of that planning out is setting mini goals with dates so that I am always progressing towards that end target, whatever that is. So I think that's fair to say that that is a trait that I've picked up the last 10 years. So what are some of the goals you have now? I am in between major goals at the moment. Things at, at work have been changing almost daily, it seems like. I, I've been working as a contractor. And I, as of today, I am currently unemployed. But tomorrow, I start full-time with the position, or with the same position I was doing as a contractor for the company I was uh, contracted to. So I'm just, essentially Friday was my last day at the contracting agency and Tuesday is my first day as a full-time official employee. So I've been focused a lot around uh, just keeping work going and you know, the, the work history this last year has been kind of changing and strange. A company I was working for was starting to outsource all their IT department and I've just been focused on keeping my professional ducks in a row so that I can continue to provide for my family. And then this pandemic stuff happened and we've been isolating and uh, everyone in my family has some kind of pre-existing health condition that makes us high risk. So if I can limit any exposure to the outside world right now, then that's what I need to do to keep my family safe. So getting this magnet and starting that was the most recent thing. And part of that was uh, waiting on it to be delivered. It wasn't supposed to get here till Sunday, but it showed up Friday. So Saturday we went out and hit a couple locations. And first location was uninteresting. Uh, but the second location, we found a lot of little things. And hopefully people will find the video interesting as well. There were some things that I didn't find out about until watching the video. Uh, things that my daughter had said in the background to my wife that got included in the subtitles on the video. So if you're watching it, you don't quite hear something. It's in the text at the bottom of the screen so you can read it. My daughter is hilarious, by the way. <laughs> I wonder where she gets it from. I don't know. I, th I think she's been around you at Toastmaster meetings, Mike. <laughs> Or she's been around you and your wife, <laughs> who are both funny and brilliant. Where'd you grow up? Where um, Did you grow up here in Oklahoma? Did you grow up in, on a spaceship, somewhere in between? I was born in the Panhandle of Oklahoma, 
in a little town called Beaver, which even though it's a little town, it is still the capital of something for the world. And that is the throwing of cow chips. And if you don't know what cow chips are, just be careful what you Google. <laughs> so the beaver, the cow chip throwing capital of the world. And you know, I tell people that and then they ask me about it. But even though I was born there, I only lived there for about two weeks. And at that age, you don't remember a lot. If anything, well, and so I, my dad at the time was one of those people who learns how to do so many things. He's, this is probably the, the thing that I admire most about him. He, you know, people say, uh, uh, what are they said? Uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. But my dad, he would go into all these different trades and become a master of them. He was the auto mechanic. And you know, he got to where he was a, an instructor of auto mechanics. And then he, for a time, he was a cosmetologist and he started teaching cosmetology. And he was a truck driver. He's done so many things. And he just, every time he would focus and do his best and put in his best effort. And that's one thing that he always told me. If you always put in your best effort, no matter what the outcome is, you're a success because you tried your best, you put in your best effort. If you go into things just doing a half effort, then no matter what the outcome was, you're not really a winner. You're just somebody who showed up. You may have won the prize because nobody else did better, but thing really from that. So just always go in and put in your best effort. And that's something that I've tried to instill in my, my children. Uh, so born in Beaver, moved around a lot uh, as a kid and when I was probably eight, uh, my grandmother got custody of me. Uh, my parents had divorced. I should probably back up. <laughs> uh, my parents divorced when I was probably two years old. And I lived with my mom for a while, sometimes in a car. Uh, one of my earliest memories is her, at the time, husband, and some woman being in a back room and hearing screaming and her running out of that back room. I don't know who this woman was, uh, bloody, naked, screaming, running out of that back room and out of the house and him running after. It's not a great environment. Uh, this guy used to give me these uh, coarse cans. They had the half size cans. It's probably like six ounces. Uh, and I was like two years old. He's given me coarse light uh, or coarse, the silver can with a sprinkle salt on the top. I don't know where that came from, but uh, cigarettes, you know, kids always want what their parents have. My mom smoked. So I wanted a cigarette. She gave me a cigarette, ended up smoking for 27 years until my child was two years old and was walking around pretending like she was smoking. And I quit that day. But my grandfather thought, oh, I'll break him of the smoking habit. And he had cigars and he gave me a cigar and that, that didn't work. You, know, you hear about movies like uh, Brewster's Millions where the, the guy gets put in a closet with a carton of cigarettes and made to smoke the whole thing. That doesn't work to stop somebody from uh, an addiction when you're shoving the addictive chemical into them. It might make people sick, but it doesn't keep them from getting addicted to it. Uh, so 
my mom had custody of me for a while. And then my dad uh, had to use a private investigator to find me and took my mom to court to get custody of me. And it was a lot of he said and she said stories on both sides. The judge not really able to come to a determination based on the things that she was hearing called me into her chambers and we talked for a little while and she asked what I wanted and I chose to live with my dad at that time I was about five years old and he was married and I had a, a stepsister who was one month younger than me so I got to be the older kid she resented me for that for a long time and for about the next three years things were pretty good I thought uh, dad drank and uh, fed the dog beer and that was fun you know some strange memories that from that time uh, didn't realize what alcoholism was until uh, about the time I was eight and I went to live with my grandmother because my dad went into rehab and he was in and out of rehab for a while uh, alcoholism is a tough thing to beat for a lot of people. Uh, I think it was about three years before he finally was ready for me to come live with him again. He had remarried and was living in Ardmore, Oklahoma. So up to this point, I was really in the Oklahoma City area. I moved to Ardmore halfway through fifth grade. I was about 11 years old and went to high school there. I am in Ardmore and fifth grade, the teacher would take us every Friday uh, after the lunchtime and we would walk to this little burger shop that was probably 500 feet from the school and he would buy us soda. So I started warming up to the idea that there might be some good teachers in Ardmore because I got soda. <laughs> and went to junior high there and I mentioned my experience planning out my high school career and the high school where I met you know, Mary Alice O'Daniel, a physics teacher who I absolutely adored. And I had a biology teacher and a later physiology teacher who I absolutely hated at the time because she liked me so much. And not like in a creepy way, but just I didn't want to be teacher's pet. I didn't want to have a teacher dote on me in class. Um, Nobody wants to be that guy. Uh, Wait, for, so you got to be the teacher's pet? <laughs> <laughs> well, and you should also understand that the classes I was taking were all the APs, honors classes. So it was the smartest kids in the school. And then to have from that group, the teacher's attention focused on you as the good kid. That was just too much. I, I, I may have sabotaged myself more than I needed to because of that. Uh, there was one time that I was in her class and it was a, the class was set up with lab tables. So you had four people at a square-ish table and you know we we're in lab groups. And our, I don't remember what our group was doing. We may have been dissecting a fetal pig or something at that point because we got to do all those cool things. And I burped. And I said, excuse me, so the people at my table could hear it. But I didn't realize that when you do something bad, the apology should be as loud as the offense. Uh, so my teacher had heard the burp apparently, but she didn't hear the apology. And so she made a big deal out of it. And I, not even really realizing how loud the burp had been, 
apologized at the top of my lungs so that everybody could hear it. So now whenever I see things that people do online and they, they have this apology that may not really be an apology, uh, you see things like, I'm sorry if you were offended. That's not an apology. I did learn from her what, about apologies. You know, you apologize. I'm sorry that I did the thing that I did. I realized it was wrong. I'll take steps in the future not to, to do it or to at least in the case of a belch, maybe stifle it more. <laughs> uh, but despite the fact that I did not like her, I did learn a lot from her classes. Uh, and, and an amazing chemistry teacher. Yeah, my freshman year, our geology teacher, I absolutely tormented her. When, when school started and people found out that she was the teacher of that class, we were informed that she thought her husband had been reincarnated as a pencil. I'm sorry, as a tree. Her husband had been reincarnated as a tree. So whenever you needed to sharpen your pencil, she was very sensitive. And being the, Wait, like seriously, she was sensitive when someone sharpened a pencil. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And okay, being the okay. the outstanding student that I was, I would go to the front of the class next to her table, her desk, where the pencil sharpener was, and I would stop! Don't care, killing me. Oh, that's awesome! I mean, it's horrible. It's horrible. Bad Michael, but great at the same time. While I'm doing it, I'm not reacting. I'm not moving my face. I'm not moving my lips. I'm like doing, throwing them my voice to and trying to be a ventriloquist. And the class is laughing behind me as she can't see that it's me doing it. Uh, she only lasted about half the year and I feel like it might've been my fault. Uh, we ended up with another teacher that year. Uh, and and I, I feel a little guilty about that. A little bit. <laughs> I don't think I told you that we, we drove her out of that class. <laughs> uh, yeah, she stopped teaching and uh, I, I hope that things went well for her after that because I feel bad. About it. It's one of those differences and it's one of the things I really do like about you. I like about Joey. Regardless of what my predisposition was coming into the conversation, you do a great job of articulating it in a way that doesn't ever seem offensive. Now, I'm not saying you haven't been offensive to teachers with pencils and stuff, but. While I was in high school, I also participated in a program. I don't remember exactly what it was called, but we went to Washington DC for a week and learned about different aspects of our government. We went to different embassies and talked to uh, all kinds of different people from all over the world and visited our senators and our Congress people and that was really an interesting experience for me just to get almost a hands-on experience of what our government is like. Reading about it in a textbook is one thing, but going and seeing and hearing the different perspectives and listening to people explain why they believe the philosophies they do behind government and how things work, you know, Democrat, Republican, it, it all comes down to people believe that our government should operate a certain way for some reason and getting to kind of hear their different views and beliefs on the role of government in people's lives and how things should be operated is, is an experience that I would recommend for everyone if they had the opportunity. 
uh, from there, uh, my senior year of high school, I was trying to figure out what to do about college. Because as I mentioned, we had low income family, we didn't have a lot, we had what we needed and I had access to books. <laughs> so that was really all I needed. Uh, my dad was a big fan of the Marine Corps. So growing up, we always had Marine Corps items around and he had inspired an interest in the military in me. So I'd gone to the recruiting office in Ardmore, Oklahoma and talked to the recruiter there and done all the things that I needed to do to potentially enlist in the Marine Corps in order to pay for college. Because that was my goal, was college, not to become a Marine. And I'd even gone through the MEPS, the physical, gotten an exception for my Crohn's disease, which a medical exception to join the Marine Corps is a pretty daunting thing to try to overcome. I did all those things. And the night before I was supposed to go in to sign the, the final paperwork to enlist, I got a call from the president of Oklahoma Christian University. He said, I'm going to be in Ardmore tomorrow. I want to take you to lunch. Well, my appointment with the recruiter was after lunch. I was like, great. Went and had lunch with the president of Oklahoma Christian University. He said, your school's paid for. I didn't know who this guy is. My grandmother had worked at Oklahoma Christian University for 18 years. Uh, she didn't at this point, but uh, I, I knew that she knew people there. So I kind of thought maybe she had something to do with it. But it turns out there was a woman in Ardmore who was a member of my church who was very wealthy. Uh, I won't say the name because if I said her name, you would immediately know who she was and her family and uh, they may not want to know all of this because of part of the story <coughs> that we'll get to in a moment. Uh, it turns out she was the one who was paying for my school. <clears throat> and I went in right after lunch to the recruiter, said, you know, my goal behind joining the Marine Corps was to pay for college. College is taken care of now. I won't be enlisting. Thank you very much for your time. We shook hands. He was very nice. He understood because he knew that's what my goal was. That was why I was doing it. So he was you know, very nice. He had invested some time in me, but how can you argue with somebody who their why isn't being met by that? So always consider the why and the people that you interact with. Something that, that manager that inspired me to join Toastmasters also said a lot. <laughs> so I went to college at Oklahoma Christian for a few years. I tested out of, I think, 19 hours or 17 hours. And I took 19 hours my first semester. So at the end of my first semester, I, I think I was a sophomore or a junior. And I was a sophomore. And then at the end of my second semester, I was a junior. And my next to last semester there, the first part of my senior year, IBM came to campus and they were doing a workshop on how to build a resume. And then they were also interviewing for positions they had in a software branch of the company that dealt with banking software. I took my resume in and I sat down with me. They said, we can't tell you anything to improve on your resume. This is great for these reasons. It's like, oh, great, thanks. I guess I'm not getting anything out of this. 
and they said, uh, we want you to come and interview. They invited my roommate and I were the only two people they invited to fly to North Carolina to interview for the positions oh, wow. they had open. Wow. And they offered us both the job. And the condition was that I had to finish school in the next semester. And I was 22 hours away from finishing school. So I would have to have taken 22 hours of my senior year. And at this point, I was working full time because the scholarship that I was working under had disappeared. The woman that was doing it had gotten in a car accident and her family took control of her finances and cut that off. That's why I figured the family doesn't want me to say their name. Uh, so working full time, taking 22 hours, it's doable. I don't recommend it because in March I was in the hospital. Uh, Crohn's disease does not react well to stress and there's definitely a lot of stress there. So I did not end up working for IBM which is a good thing because if I had gone to North Carolina at that point in my life, I probably never would have met my wife and my kids would not be around. And they are the most amazing people on this planet. So not going to work for IBM is a benefit for the planet. Well, thank you for benefiting our planet. <laughs> now, uh, I, I seem to remember at some point you also were, were a youth pastor. After I met my wife and, and we had moved back to Oklahoma, so we had two children, uh, we were going to the church that she went to growing up and they needed a youth pastor. And so I, I talked to them about taking on that role and I ended up being their youth minister. But the reason I left wasn't because they didn't like me or because I wanted a different job. Uh, my youngest child was 11 months old and was in the hospital for a month, during which time nobody from the church came to visit or call or, or you know, even express any sympathy or anything. But not only that, at one point I was on my way to the car to go home to get change of clothes and some stuff for my wife because we were pretty much staying in the hospital room with our daughter. And I ran into the L, one of the elders from the church and his wife in the parking lot because they were there to visit somebody else. Uh, they didn't say anything. Uh, I just I said, oh, hi, are you guys coming to see us? We're in you know, this room and they're no, and they left. And that was the end of my experience as a youth minister. Well, I'm sorry that that, I'm sorry that that happened. You know, there are good and bad people anywhere you go and in any group. When my younger stepbrother was asking me about where he should go to college, because he was getting a lot of pressure to go to Oakland Christian. I told him, I said, no matter where you go, you're going to find what you're looking for. If you're looking for a group of people to be supportive and positive and encouraging and spiritual, you can find that group anywhere you go. If you're looking for people to bring you down, 
you can find those people in any group you look where anywhere you go. So he ended up going to Oklahoma Christian and getting hooked on heroin. Uh, he, he's overcome that. He's he's come a long way since then. But just to highlight that, no matter where you go, no matter what group you're in, you're going to find good and bad people, and you should try not to blame the group or the organization generally for that type of thing. Uh, I say generally because some environments do seem to breed more right. negative uh, right. behaviors. The circuit breaker lockdown questions. All right. So for my friend Amy, what's been the most influential book in your life? Well, I do like Ecclesiastes ten nineteen for for people that uh, want to go look that up later. Uh, the feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry, but money is the answer for everything. I'm like, hey, the Bible said so. <laughs> uh, you're talking about you know, getting whatever you're looking for wherever you end up. Uh, you can take things out of context all day. It's just uh, you take meaning, whatever meaning you want from any text, it seems like. Uh, there was a book that I read when I was young. I read it multiple times. But this book was called The Gift of Akbar. And it, it's about essentially this kid, and I think it's Alaska, who finds a star that has fallen to earth and takes care of it. And throughout the story, he learns that the, the purpose of life is to leave the world better than you found it. And I don't remember anything else about the book, but that whole idea of leaving things better than when you found it has stuck with me. And when my daughters were in Girl Scouts, you know, they would uh, do camping or something, cleaning up afterwards the the thing that they said in Girl Scouts was leave it better than when you got there. Uh, so you clean up not only after yourself, but if you see that there's other mess there that needs to be cleaned up, maybe from somebody that was there before, go ahead and clean that up too. Uh, so that's really stuck with me. From my friend, Mandy, how have you learned to get along so well with people who think and believe so differently than you? That is an ever-present thing, especially in our current climate where everything is so politicized and, you know, it's demon rats and republic tards and name-calling. Uh, if you've ever been in a situation where you've judged someone critically and then found out something of their background that made you feel guilty about that, then hopefully you've learned <clears throat> to be considerate that other people have different experiences and different backgrounds, different things that have led them to where they are today. And when I was working at Dell, we had a lot of employee training about, um, oh, I can't even think of the word right now. Um, Diversity? Yes, a lot of diversity training and just understanding that people have different cultures, different things that they've learned, not only from their heritage, but from their experiences. And, you know, maybe somebody doesn't drink alcohol because they grew up in an alcoholic family and they don't want to take any risk of that. Or, you know, maybe they just don't like the taste of alcohol. There's all kinds of reasons why somebody might not like alcohol. And to just judge someone 
like that, you know, be like, oh, they don't like alcohol. Or, you know, this seems kind of stupid in that example, at least. But uh, just understanding that people come from a wide background. And until you really stop to consider why they think they, what they think or why they feel like they feel, you really shouldn't judge. You really can't judge reasonably. If, you know, we talked about, you know, facts. Facts don't care about your feelings. You can argue the facts. Um, you can present facts and uh, tables and data to people that have different feelings, thoughts about things, and they may not change their minds because their feelings don't care about the facts. Uh, but maybe the reason they have the biases that they do is because of their backgrounds and the experiences they've had. Not that they're a bad person, just that they've had a hard life or hard experiences. And really trying to understand that about people has framed my tolerance for people that are different than I am. Uh, so hopefully that works for, for people. Uh, it seems to work well for me. Uh, I generally don't judge people, at least not openly. <laughs> Except when you do, right? Right. <laughs> for my friend Rashad, if you were a tree, what kind of pizza would you eat? If I was a tree, I would be really stuck on whether or not to include pineapple on a pizza. Since pineapple is another plant life and uh, being a tree is a, a form of plant life. But sometimes pineapple can really complement the other flavors that are on a pizza. So I don't know necessarily what kind I would definitely eat, but I might have reservations about vegetarian pizzas or pizzas with pineapple or peppers, onions. I might stick to more of the, the meat lovers or maybe a, a double pepperoni, something with uh, less tree. You know, the great thing about pepperoni is it looks kind of like if you, when you cut off a tree and you've got the rings, you have rings of pepperoni. From my friend Amanda, if you were to leave this life tomorrow, What's the one thing you would like people to have known about you? I am very much an introvert, which probably contributes to my, if I were to leave this earth tomorrow, the thing I would most want people to know about me is nothing. <laughs> uh, hopefully that's a unique answer for your podcast you know I, I would rather not be known and have maybe things that I did be known than be the focus of the attention in the spirit of Harry Carey from the Chicago Cubs this is for my friend Adrian if you were a donut would you eat yourself I'm pretty harsh on myself sometimes, uh, all the time, uh, usually. <laughs> so I, I probably would. Uh, you know, we, we're our biggest critics. You know, we do something and we see every single little flaw 
in it, but other people may just see an amazing work of art or uh, amazing drawing or great speech or whatever it is. But we'll see every little defect, every little flaw because we know what we intended throughout that. So being how harsh I am on myself, I probably would eat myself to save someone else from having to taste that nasty flavor. Alright, and then the follow-up to that is what flavor of donut would you be? <laughs> uh, I would definitely be filled with something. Uh, my wife my wife will tell you I'm full of something. <laughs> well, thank you. We want to thank Michael Rodman. You can find him at Red Dirt Magnet Fishing on YouTube. Check out the Mule Pie Junkie 1 OKC. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait for next week's episode. I think you'll enjoy it as well. Thank you for listening to Nobody's a Nobody podcast because nobody's a nobody. And that means you. Until next time.